Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Ali Trost of Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. She's covering the Super Bowl from Miami. We'll check in with her and get her thoughts on the Chiefs' chances to come away with the Lombardi Trophy coming up this Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers. Joining me, as always, is Thomas Bridges. Tom, we had a couple weeks off. I had the flu. You had the flu. My grandmother, unfortunately, passed away. Just a number of things. Life happens, but we are back, and we got so much to cover today. We'll get to Kobe Bryant here in just a second. But first off, the Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. I can't believe it. I'm so ecstatic. I'm excited. Uh, This is a wild week leading up to the big game on Sunday. I could not be more ready for this. Yeah, and I hope your Chiefs, uh, you know, I hope they end up winning. Uh, I was in the same position last year with the Rams, and, you know, it had been forever and a day since the Rams had been in there. But it's really been forever and a day since the Chiefs have been back. My dad's a Chiefs fan, and we were talking last week, and uh, the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, he was almost seven. Uh, and he turned 56 this year, or in 2019. He'll turn 57 this year. So, to put that in perspective, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been half a century since the Kansas City Chiefs have made the Super Bowl, and their Lord and Savior, Patrick Mahomes, has made the return. So, I mean, every Chief fan has to be excited. And I'm excited for the Chiefs. Yeah, and the thing about it, too, is it's not like that there's some loser franchise either. It's not like we're talking about some of these teams like the Browns, the Lions, or whatever, that just have no playoff success or no playoff history over the years. The Chiefs have been so close. Last year, they were an offsides penalty away from being in the Super Bowl. You go back to the 90s, Joe Montana played in the AFC Championship game, led the Chiefs there, and they lost to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Time and time again, this has been a franchise that has been competitive, that has been there, that's done that. They've come so close so many times, but haven't quite been able to get over that hump to get to the Super Bowl. And some folks are quick to point to Andy Reid and his lack thereof of playoff success over the years. Uh, When you go back to his days in Philadelphia, he went to the NFC Championship game, I believe it was six times, and he only won it once and had one Super Bowl appearance. But to me, that's not why it's taken so long for the Kansas City Chiefs to get there. It's the quarterback position. That's what's different now is Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. And you mentioned the, the Lord and Savior of the Kansas City Chiefs. This guy has been everything. Patrick Mahomes has had a historic playoff run these last two seasons. Uh, You could argue it's been the best playoff performance by any quarterback in NFL history. Patrick Mahomes looks like the most talented and skilled quarterback this league has ever seen. And I don't think that's a stretch. I think I'm not saying that he is the greatest by any means because he's not. He's still got a lot of work to do. But skill-wise... And what he brings to the table is just something we have never seen before in the National Football League. So that's the difference in the Chiefs is they have that franchise quarterback. Alex Smith was a guy that was a transplant from the San Francisco 49ers. Trent Green was a transplant from the St. Louis Rams. 
Joe Montana was a transplant from the Niners. They were ready to move on. They had moved on to Steve Young at that point in time, and Joe Montana was at the end of his career. Todd Blackledge was a really bad quarterback. You just go up and down the line. Matt Castle, another guy that was a transplant from New England. They never had that quarterback until Patrick Mahomes showed up, and that's the difference of why this team has a chance to bring home the Lombardi Trophy for the first time in 50 years. It's all about Patrick Mahomes. Everybody should cherish this moment of having a franchise quarterback like this, and I think that Andy Reid and the Chiefs are going to go to many Super Bowls in their future. But before we get ahead of ourselves and call this a dynasty or whatever and all this, keep in mind, the Chiefs are very much enjoying Patrick Mahomes on a rookie contract right now, and they're able to spend money elsewhere. About a year from now, Patrick Mahomes is going to have a brand-new contract that's going to make him the highest-paid player in the league. Over $200 million is going to be due, and you're going to have to wave bye-bye to some of your other players, some of the guys that make the difference now, comparatively speaking. So enjoy the moment. I think the Chiefs are going to win on Sunday when it's all said and done, but I'm not going to sit here and say that this is the beginning of total domination by the Chiefs per se. Um, they will go to multiple Super Bowls, but dynasty per se, let's hold the brakes just yet and enjoy the moment of this opportunity the Chiefs have ahead of themselves here. It's not even a guarantee they'll beat San Francisco. I like them to win, but this is quite the challenge, Tom, that the Chiefs have ahead of themselves going up against the San Francisco team that has well is well coached by Kyle Shanahan. Uh, they're a very complete team. They have a great defense, the best in the league, a stout offensive line, a really good defensive line. They've really done a good job of building that team through their offensive and defensive line here. Um, they're going to give the Chiefs all they can handle come Sunday. Yeah, I think they are, and their running game really showed out against the Packers. So Kansas City defensive line is going to have to be ready. The secondary, you know, or at least the, the linebackers are going to have to be ready. Uh, for the running game. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo only threw eight passes in the NFC Championship for a total of, I don't know, less. it was less than 150 yards, maybe even less than 100 yards. I don't think that's going to win them the Super Bowl by any means. He's going to have to be, he's going to have to throw more than eight times. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him either. I like the Chiefs uh, to win too, uh, but it's not going to be an easy task. And as far as Patrick Mahomes go, I, you know, I saw your tweet earlier. I'm, I'm not sure exactly who you quoted, but the Chiefs would be stupid not to go ahead and lock them up just as soon as possible. Do not wait an offseason. Do not wait a year uh, because it's like you, you said it in the tweet. It's only going to get more expensive, and it will. And you'll have to wave bye-bye to some of those players. Now, I mean, you know, it's going to come down to who is the most valuable for the right price. I mean, I think obviously you keep Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill um, I, but you know, as far as like Sammy Watkins, you could probably let him walk and, and keep Hardman on that rookie contract. I mean, we can get into, uh, you know, that on a later date right now, it's all about the Super Bowl and, and the chiefs not being there for 50 years and, and the potential of them, you know, turning this into that. And, and Jones, it's been way before we were born that the chiefs really had a, a quarterback they could call their own. Yeah. Uh, and that's what they have in Patrick Mahomes and, and, and you mentioned it, it makes it, it, it has made all the difference. It's incredible for the Chiefs to have this franchise quarterback to take them to the promised land 
where they've desperately wanted to go. It's uh, something special with Patrick Mahomes, and I think we're witnessing history right now. They have the coach in Andy Reid. They have the quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. Now it's just a matter of putting all the pieces together uh, when it's all said and done come Sunday. When I look at this Chiefs team, another thing that when you look at this season per se, which got them over the edge, not only did they get healthy per se, this team was so banged up throughout the season. Heck, Patrick Mahomes was even out for a period of time. Tyreek Hill was, Damian Williams, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, you name it, everybody got injured on this team. This offensive line at one point was down to five offensive linemen. They were just banged up everywhere. Not only was it the fact that this team got healthy and that the path, per se, got a little bit easier by not having to face Baltimore, thank you, Tennessee, but this defense, Spags comes in, and it was kind of a slow start, per se. It took some time for these guys to really learn the system. It looked at like initially there wasn't a whole lot of improvement from the Bob Sutton defense. But then the second half of the season, the pass defense really came along with Fuller and Ward, and then the level of play that we saw from Tyrod Matthew eventually becoming an all-pro. Just tremendous what that secondary did. And then the pass rush. That got off to a slow start to this year, but Frank Clark turned into a pro bowler and was just outstanding with what he was able to do and get pressure on some of these uh, offenses, some of these quarterbacks, the way that he really developed and came together. That was a trade, Tom, in the offseason that we sat back and questioned and said, hey, Frank Clark's a good player, but did the Chiefs give up too much per se? And based on the results of getting to the Super Bowl, we saw this team make aggressive moves, getting a guy like Frank Clark, going out there and paying the money for Tyron Matthew, getting a new defensive coordinator in Steve Spagnola. This team was so close a season ago, but they knew that what they had last year was not going to be good enough going forward. Brett Veach was aggressive in the offseason, and although it took some time, certainly the fruits of the labor of the Kansas City Chiefs of what they did in the offseason, those aggressive moves certainly paid off. I think if you had to do it over again, absolutely you'd pay the money for Tyron Matthew. You go ahead and make that trade for Frank Clark again. All these things which seemed to be questionable at the time certainly worked out in the Chiefs' favor, and that's why they're here in this position right now. Yeah, they are, and in, in, in a way, they kind of taking the same approach that the Rams took a year ago when they started making all those deals and it paid off and they got to the Super Bowl, they lost. Uh, but, but they still had the success that they hadn't seen in years. And, uh, you know, when you can have the balls, so to speak, to make those moves where it's essentially make or break, it ends up working out. You look really smart. You look really, you know, it works out. And, and you know, for the Chiefs, it did this year. Kind of things fell into place. Maybe not so much in the regular season where we thought, hey, Glad that they play in the AFC West because maybe in another division it wouldn't have worked out so well. But um, for the Chiefs, it was a perfect storm, uh, uh, you know, so to speak. Everyone ended up getting healthy at the right time. Titans knocked off the the Ravens, and it's no slight on the Ravens or even the Titans because the Titans for a little bit gave the Chiefs all they could handle, and and even the Texans obviously going up twenty four nothing. You you put another coach. You put, uh, I mean, you put Bill Belichick up 24-0. We're, we're probably not talking about the Chiefs right now. Um, you know, 
Uh, Bill O'Brien, you know, that's coaches of things past. We don't need to talk about him right now. But and somehow, uh, that being that, said that, somehow that dumbass Bill O'Brien got promoted to GM in the process. Well, yeah, exactly right. Um, so that being said, it is about the Chiefs. You know, like I said, perfect storm of certain, you know, everything kind of fell into place. And, and you know, I'm not so much superstitious, but it feels like, and, and it would be different if I was a Chiefs fan. I'm a Rams fan. Uh, you know, it almost feels like a perfect storm. It almost feels like this is meant to be. I mean, that's a dangerous thing to say as anybody who would ever think about putting money down on this game. But uh, just the way everything has fallen into place this season after the injuries took place, uh, it almost feels like Patrick Mahomes uh, is destined to take him here and get this win. Uh, that being said, the 49ers are, you know, no – no pushover either, and what they did with Packers in the NFC Championship. Uh, I mean, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with come Sunday. Uh, but as far as the team matchup, I mean, I, I think this is going to be one of the. I think we could see, uh, in some way, Jones a repeat of the Saints 49ers game uh, this season. I, I, mean, I really think that it could be a Super Bowl. You know, after the shit show last year of what was maybe one of the worst Super Bowls since the Broncos Seahawks, I, I think this could turn around and be one of the better Super Bowls that we've seen, considering all things. So with that being said, breaking down the game itself, you bring up a good point in that, yes, this Kansas City offense is historically good, but San Francisco's no slouch themselves. You go back to that New Orleans game, that game played in the Superdome. The Niners go toe-to-toe with the Saints and win that game. I believe the final was 48-46. to just unreal what they were able to do. And Jimmy Garoppolo has been disrespected by most of the league, underappreciated for the job he's done. And the thing I point to, Tom, if you want to know how good Jimmy G really is, look at this team last year in 2018. Preseason, they were projected by most folks to be a playoff team or at least have a winning record, per se. He goes down week two, ironically, against the Chiefs, and they would go on to finish the season 4-12. and 12. This year, they get Jimmy G back, and they went to a whole nother level, back to what we expected them to be, per se, before he went down, actually exceeding that expectation and end up being the number one seed in the NFC, and the rest is history where they get to the NFC Championship. So if you want to sit here and question Jimmy G, Maybe his statistics aren't the best, per se, but when they've asked that offense to score points when they've needed to, they've answered the call. We saw it twice against Green Bay. We saw it in each matchup against Seattle. We saw it against New Orleans. This offense is certainly capable, and Jimmy G is certainly capable, and it helps when you have one of the best tight ends in the National Football League in George Kittle. Not only do they have an ability to, to run the ball very well with that zone run game, very similar to what the Denver Broncos did in the 90s. But Kittle right there has been incredible this season and has been a great target for Jimmy G to deal with. For Kansas City on Sunday, obviously you got to stop the run, but when it comes to the pass game, they need to do everything within their power to take away George Kittle because he's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and, and then I would imagine that they'll use Kittle the same way that 
the Patriots used Gronk last uh, last season, just a little dink and dump. Uh, that's all they need to do. You, I mean, you don't with the quality of the line and the quality of the you know the running game and, and, and having Kittle right there. Almost, you know, the Chiefs are going to have to play the play action really, really, really well to be able to shut that down. Uh, and, and not only George Kittle. I mean, maybe it's not. You know, maybe he wasn't what he was a couple of years ago, but you also have a veteran wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, who have been there before. Um, and so that he's no, you know, he's no slouch. He, he, you know, he might be one of the keys to the game because Emmanuel Sanders has a huge game. Uh, he's one of those sleepers or one of those dark horses to have a hell of a Super Bowl game. Like, you know, we, we always see, at Jones, correct me if I'm wrong, every Super Bowl there's always that one guy that you least expect to have a huge game. And he ends up having a huge game, and I feel like that could be Emmanuel Sanders for the 49ers, uh, and, and maybe for the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, obviously, expect. Uh, I mean, you expect that Kelsey and Tyreek Hill have uh, have a get theirs, but I mean, for them, maybe it's Hardman, uh, or maybe it's Damian Williams that shows up and, and has a game that that really makes a difference. But for the 49ers, that offense just can do so many things to you. Um, that even if one thing is not working out, maybe in the way that it needs to go, they have a backup option. Um, I, I think, so Tom, I do think it's going to be battle of the offenses, um, and, it, and it's really going to come down to who gets the stops. We can call that the David Tyree Memorial X Factor. Um, yeah, there should be an award for it. Yes, uh, in honor of David Tyree, because he was exactly that uh, for the Giants when they won that Super Bowl. Uh, just a couple of years back, uh, actually longer than that now. Uh, I'm feeling old at this point in time. And uh, congrats, Eli, what, like eight years. Yeah, congrats to Eli, by the way, uh, on his retirement. He'll be a Hall of Famer uh, when it's all said and done. He'll be the worst quarterback in the Hall of Fame, but he'll be in the Hall of Fame nonetheless uh, when it's all said and done. But as far as this game goes, one point that you made that I really liked was about the start of this game. I think this is going to tell us a lot about how this game is going to go based on the start of this one. When, what I mean by that is if the Chiefs go down 24 nothing, or you know 17-7, whatever it was, kind of like the last two games, that slow start, this is one they can't afford to go down by that margin in that San Francisco is a much better team than Houston is. A much better team than Tennessee is. If they get off to a hot start and have that margin, the Chiefs may be able to make a run, but it's going to be really hard to see them closing that gap in San Francisco not running the ball, wearing out clock, and protecting that lead because they have just simply more horses than Tennessee or Houston does, and they're extremely well-coached with Kyle Shanahan and company. I know Kyle Shanahan was the OC of that Falcons team that blew that 28-3 lead a couple years ago, but I blame more on uh, on their head coach, oh, uh, Smith. Quinn. Uh, Quinn Snyder. Yes, uh, not Quinn Snyder. Dan uh, Quinn. Dan Quinn, thank you. Uh, for yeah. that debacle. Blame it on Quinn Snyder, too. Blame yeah. it on him. He's trash. Yes, let, let's do that, too. Uh, but Dan Quinn, that's who I fought more for that. Less so Kyle Shanahan for that situation. Um, so with that being said, for Kansas City, a hot start is so important to this game. And what I mean by that, too, Tom, is 
that it's okay for the Chiefs if they're down three or even down a touchdown at halftime, per se. I'm not saying even that they have to be up by 10 or 14 or even a touchdown. Just be within the margin at halftime, and then you have a second half to work with. The main thing is this team can't fall behind by a big margin early in this game. As long as they're in contention and you have Patrick Mahomes, you're in good shape, you're fine. But they can't fall behind by a large margin early on in this game. No, they definitely can, and and I, I think the Chiefs know that now. I mean, I know what's at stake. They they know that the 49ers are, you know, obviously a better team than the Texans and a better team than the Titans. You know, I mean, they could have they could have been playing in Foxborough. They or you know, if they would have, you know, if Patriots would have pulled that game off against the Dolphins. They could have been playing in Baltimore. Uh, you know, it goes back to the point I mentioned earlier. It's been like the perfect storm for Kansas City. Everything kind of has fallen into place the way they needed it to, despite being down 24-0 to zero against the Texans. They made the comeback, ended up blowing the doors open in the second half. Uh, same way against the Titans, kind of down, kind of a close game uh, to where we thought, Ooh, maybe the Titans can make the Super Bowl, and then the Chiefs just shut them up. Uh, and I don't know if that was home field advantage or if that goes back to the point it's just a perfect storm for kansas city i kansas city cannot rely on hey it's been a perfect storm of a season uh, to get down against the 49ers I, I think they must come out hot i think it would be you know i think if they it, it the 49ers have a way the same way as the chiefs they you know it's like the titans you get up on the titans you're going to force Tannehill to throw the ball uh, Tannehill's not terrible. Jimmy G's a little bit better of a quarterback, and, and 49ers offense is a little bit more potent, so you can't just rely on, hey, let's just get up on the 49ers and just coast. Uh, I mean, it's going to have to be a complete game for the Chiefs. Uh, and, and you know, it, it, you know, we like to obviously talk about the Chiefs because of where we're at. Uh, I mean, but playing a little devil's advocate, uh, if we're talking about both teams, it's, it's important for San Francisco to do the same because it, in, on the same page, uh, these teams are very alike in that if if another team gets up, they do have the capability to come back. Uh, they do have the the firepower. They do have the defense to make the stops. Both these teams are very alike. Maybe not as far as the quarterback play, but I mean it makes up for it in in different areas. They're they're very similar, uh, and and I you know I can't stress that enough. I want the Chiefs to win because of where we're at, and because of my dad, and because of you, and. Obviously, because of Billy Locke's a Chiefs fan, he's never seen his team win a championship. Uh, so, so for that, I root for the Chiefs. But at the, for on the same plane as, as a non-biased person, we also have to point out that the 49ers are very similar in the fact that hey, if you want to win this game, you need to. This is this is the game to play the complete game, and that maybe that goes unsaid. Uh, I mean, but for both teams, they've had their ups and downs this season where we think, ooh, you know, are they are they capable of doing this? Um, so for both teams, it must be a complete game. I think it will be. Uh, you, you know, I think it's it, – maybe we want it to be, and that's why we say that, but I think this is going to be one of the better Super Bowls, and, and God forbid it's going to be uh, any bit better than last year. Yeah, yeah, I hope so, uh, for sure. Uh, we're talking Super Bowl right now. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you on the Jones Report this week. And, Tom, one of the points that we brought up about this was the coaching matchup, Andy Reid versus Kyle Shanahan. 
And, uh, you know, Kyle's a very good coach. He's got a bright future. One of the best young minds in the league. This won't be the last time that he's here. Uh, I think that he's got some more of these in his future. And John Lynch has done a really good job as GM of that operation there in San Francisco. Credit where credit's due. That team's not going away. And think about this, too. Jimmy G is on that second contract. He has been paid. And for them to still build a team around a second contract quarterback to get to the Super Bowl, that speaks volumes of the job that John Lynch has done and Kyle Shanahan to still assemble a really good roster. And they're going to be here for a long time and only continue to get better going forward. Uh, I really like what they're doing there in San Francisco. But for the Kansas City Chiefs, this Super Bowl, Tom, to me, it feels like this is about Andy Reid. Winning the AFC was about the Hunt family and getting the Lamar Hunt trophy back home to Kansas City for the first time ever to Clark Hunt and that Hunt family to have the trophy with his father's name on it and how special that was for Kansas City to do it in Arrowhead and just everything about that. That was about the Hunt family, and that was so special for them in particular. This, to me, with Andy Reid having the longest streak of any coach in NFL history of games won without a Super Bowl, with being here so many times before, you know, in uh, late playoff situations and not quite getting it done, and the way that he's just loved around the National Football League, the respect for Andy Reid is through the roof. One of the top three coaches in the entire game at this point in time. Um, even Philadelphia fans still love Andy Reid. Uh, there's a day this week in Philadelphia that they're dedicating as Andy Reid Day where the city is going to honor him and celebrate Andy Reid. There's just a tremendous respect for him, and everybody is waiting for Andy to get his to break through and get that ring. It's the only thing missing on his Hall of Fame resume is that Super Bowl ring at this point in time. Tom, is that kind of the sense you're getting that this Super Bowl for the Chiefs is all about getting this one for Andy? You have a young quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. You got guys like Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey who are going to be around a while. They'll have their opportunities. Andy, he's a little bit older. We don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do this. To me, this is about getting this for Andy. Yeah, that's very true. And, and there's no, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, there's no player on the Chiefs. I mean, you think about Terrell Suggs. He already has his with the Ravens. And he, and, and the, it, he doesn't necessarily owe the Chiefs anything, and the Chiefs don't owe Suggs anything. He, he, for, he, for now, it's kind of beneficial on both parts that they're here. Uh, and, you know, brought on late. That's the only player that I can think of that said, hey, do it for him. But he hasn't been with the Chiefs. So, uh, you know, not screw Terrell Suggs, but at the same time, like, you've had your moment in the sun. Uh, there's no other place, there's no other person that I can think of on the Chiefs that would be more deserving or, you know, hey, let's do it for him. Uh, you know, whereas, you, you know, it could be in the NBA even like, hey, let's let's do it for Vince Carter, let's say, if the Hawks were actually any good. Um, you know, or for the Mavs last year, hey, let's do it for Nurk Nowinski. Uh, there's no player like that on the Chiefs that you say, hey, let's do it for this player because... We have, he has never been there. He's never had a ring. He's about to retire. 
not saying Andy Reid's about to retire, but he's been around so long, like, hey, let's do it for Andy Reid. Uh, because you mentioned Travis Kelsey is going to be there again. Patrick Mahomes has a long career ahead of him. So does Tyreek Hill. Uh, I mean, there's no player on the Chiefs that that stands out to me that says, "Hey, let's do it for him." Uh, you know, because he, you know, this is his last ride. Nobody on that for the Chiefs. There's usually one player on one of the Super Bowl teams that says, "Hey, let's do it for him." You know, for the Steelers, that was Jerome Bettis. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the last person I can think of off, right off the top of my head, but. Uh, there's no player that stands out that says, "Hey, last ride!" Like he's been around a while, doesn't have one. Let's let's do it for him. Uh, Andy Reid is that person in this conversation. Yeah, he is, and uh, this is going to be a big deal to get this for Andy to really complete his career with all those benchmarks being crossed off. This would be it right here for Andy Reid. It would mean so much if uh, he can get this done. And also, Tom, real quick. This would erase all the skeletons in Andy Reid's closet. This is a guy that has taken so much crap about his playoff record over the years and, you know, all the times that they came up short, whether it was in Philly or Kansas City. This would silence all of that just by getting this one Super Bowl uh, would erase all that history, essentially, that we would look at Andy Reid with a whole different perspective about what he has been as a head coach when it comes to the postseason, if he can get this done. Uh, everybody knows that he's a great coach, but history essentially is being rewritten here if he gets this one done. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it doesn't, you know, the all the home playoff losses in a row don't hurt as bad. Uh, you know, that wasn't all Andy Reid. That was kind of plagued the Chiefs for years, but um, – you know, all the way back to the, you know, the, the olden days. But uh, that being said, that can, I, I mean, it wouldn't erase it completely, but it would, it would just, you, you know, you think of the newest thing. And, and even if the Chiefs lose the Super Bowl, I don't think it's the end of the world, obviously, for Andy Reid, because I think they have a chance to even get back next year. Uh, but at, at that point in time, you're here. Let's go ahead and cash in and do it now let's just get this let's just get the damn thing done and knock it out i mean i'm obviously i'm i'm it, this has more for heart for me because kansas city is such a small market you know how i feel about small market teams uh i like let's get the damn thing done kansas city let's go out and kick that ass let's go and just get it done for andy reed let's get it done for kansas city let's get it done for patrick mahomes let's get it done for all those fans who have been alive, who are 60 years old, who've been a fan since they were, you know, 10 years old. Let's get it done for them. Let's get it done for freaking Kansas City. I'm all on board. Uh, and, and I know you are. I know Billy is. And and I think America wants to see Kansas City win the Super Bowl. Hell, Jones, I, you know, against the Texans, I made that Andy Reid mac and cheese, and they got down 24 to 0. My dad said, you'll never make this mac and cheese in this house again. And you know what? I and then they and he was so doubtful. He's like, you know, what? it's just like Kansas City choke away this game. I said, hey, listen, the game's not over. Kansas City can still come do this. And he's like, no, they can't. He started to shut off the TV. I said, no, that's not being a real fan. Turn the TV back on. Kansas City's going to come back and win this game. They did, and I'm, I am about to make this Kansas City mac and cheese, this Andy Reid mac and cheese, come Sunday. And, and I it's think Andy's it's actual like recipe. I think, I think it's going to taste like victory. Yeah. 
I'm excited for you. I need to try some of this mac and cheese. I'm ready to you run gotta through. just come down to Bartlesville. I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now, Tom. You got me fired up. I'm ready for this one. I'm, I'm telling you, dude, let's do it for freaking Kansas City. I love the sound of Kansas City. I know you do. You're in and out of that city all the time. It's a small market. They deserve it. Well, uh, part of me, part of me wants Kansas City to win because screw the 49ers because they're in the Rams division. But at the same time, uh, you can bleed me if you want. Fuck yeah, Kansas City, let's go. Let's get the fucker done. Let's knock out the 49ers and bring this one back to Kansas City. I am stoked for Kansas City, probably more even so than some Kansas City fans because, one, I want my dad to see a Super Bowl, and I know he's been, you know, just stirring in his chair. Uh, second off, I want Billy to see his Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and hell yeah, the small markets. I'm I'm stoked. I'm fired up for Kansas City. I think we're getting the job done this Sunday. Last thing on this Super Bowl, and then we'll move on per se is we say this about Kansas City and this small market and such, Tom. That's such a special and cool thing. But from what I've seen is this region has just rallied behind this team. I was in Iowa for the Democratic debate a couple weeks ago, and every sports bar in downtown Des Moines was lined up with Chiefs flags left and right. It was Chiefs kingdom all over the state of Iowa. Oklahoma is all in on the Chiefs. The state of Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, you name it. The Chiefs' kingdom is such a fantastic brand. There's so many Chiefs fans that are making this trip, time to the Super Bowl that have never even been to Arrowhead before, never even been to Kansas City, but they're fans of the Kansas City Chiefs and what this franchise means to them. That's special. And we're going to see some record attendance numbers. It's almost going to feel like a Chiefs home game, in a sense, come Sunday down there in Miami. Picks for this Jones. game? Yes, go ahead. Think, think about this, though. You mentioned all those cities, all those states. Kansas City, small market. St. Louis, small market. You even go down to Arkansas, small market. Des Moines, Ames, small markets. Omaha, small markets. That's what's great about it. And, and I, we could do a whole show. I could do a whole show on the greatness of small market teams. You look at just all the other small market teams. If you can think of some of the best fan bases in all of sports, they're all small markets. Uh, Kansas City being one, Green Bay being another, San Antonio, smaller market. If you get down to its big city, small market. Those fans, Jones, I mean, maybe it's because, you know, the, the not, not the quality, but the quantity of fans is so down home. It, it feels small market makes it feel so much more personable. Yeah, I don't care what you say, and that is just the epitome of Chiefs fans. It's small. This is the epitome of any small market fans. Is they're much more passionate about their team, uh, in my opinion, than any big market fans, and and that's what it comes down to. And that's for me. It, it feels more like family. Maybe that's my opinion. Yeah, uh, but it does in that. It, it just feels it feels like more like you're more connected and, and you know that that's what's that's what's great about it. And the, damn the it, Niners. Jones, I hope Kansas City pulls this off. I mean, the Niners, San Francisco, Levi Stadium—they weren't even hardly you know, selling out their games this year, and they had a great team. Right, exactly. I mean, one of the best team since you know Kaepernick led them and, and and did that however many years ago. But before that, even they were trash for so long. Um, it's not like the 49ers have been some dynasty. Um, and, and the Chiefs, you know, have had their struggles, home playoff losses and things like that. 
but it's a small market that brings everybody together, and that's why that fan base is so strong. Yeah, loyalty. Lots of loyalty, that's for sure. We both like the Chiefs to win this game. Uh, let's go ahead and make our picks against the spread right now since it's only one game on the slate, obviously. Chiefs, one-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom, I like the Chiefs to win this game and cover. I'm thinking it's going to be lower scoring because of San Francisco's ability to run the football. Give me the Chiefs to win and cover with a score of 27-24 to 24 as the final. Who you got, Tom? All right, I'm going the Chiefs to win and cover. I will go a little bit higher, but not much. I will go Chiefs 34-27. And and you know what? If we want to just throw in some bold takes, we want to throw in some bold takes. I will take Tyron Matthew to pick off Jimmy G uh, with with, with a minute to go. Trying to drive down the field and, and take the win. I got one or at for least you. Tie. I'll say Travis Kelsey goes over 100 yards receiving. I think so. I think Kittle also goes over 100 yards. Mahomes and, and wins Jones, MVP, uh, but Kelsey and Hill and the offense shows up and does really well. All right, all right. Let's go even one better. Dark horse for the game for both teams. I'll let you go first. Dark horse for dark horse player. Dark horse, horse player, player. That, that maybe, yeah, that maybe you think that, that we'll have a game that will determine maybe the outcome. Um, you here's know, the, here's the name Kelsey I'll give Kittle. you. This, game, this guy for, for the Chiefs, I have given him a lot of crap over the years. And when the Chiefs have showed up in big moments, he's been there. And that will be Dirty Dan Sorensen. I think he is the X factor in this game. He won't be winning MVP by any means, but if he plays well, if Dirty Dan comes through, Chiefs are definitely winning this game. To me, that's the guy I'm looking at. If Dirty Dan can have a good game, then I'm feeling really good about Kansas City. You know what? I feel like Jones, and tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like uh, I feel like Dirty Dan had a hell of a game against the Titans. I feel like he was all over the field. Yeah, um, and then so the uh, I, I Texans, mean, I, I, he uh, he played pretty well, too. He sniffed out that uh, fake punt. Right, you know, so I almost agree with you there uh, on that. I, that uh, for So playing the devil's advocate, what, who would you say for the 49ers would be a potential X factor? Uh, for the 49ers, potential X factor, um, I would say that Richard Sherman has to lock down somebody. Whether they put, I think they'll put him on Tyreek, I would assume. But if they put him on uh, Kelsey or you know Sammy Watkins, somebody, whatever it may be, whoever Richard Sherman is on, he has to completely just shut down for San Francisco to have any shot at slowing down the Chiefs' offense of any sorts. We have to see the Richard Sherman from like five years ago. You know, I could I could see that. I, I almost I would pick that for the sake of switching it up for the Chiefs. I'm going to go ahead and say Hardman. Uh, I, I think that Hardman could have a huge game. I think. Oh, I mean, he's he's had a great year. I think this could be his coming out party. So I will take him as my dark horse for the Chiefs. I think if he has a great game, I don't, I don't see the Chiefs losing it at all. Uh, as far as the 49ers go, Jones, I'm going to do you one uh, that will almost have some storyline implications. I'm going D forward. Um, for the 49ers. I think if he can have a big day on the, on the front line and maybe get a couple sacks on 
on your boy. Don't get called for Patrick an offside. Mahomes. Right. I, you know, I think D Ford, I think maybe that's just a storyline there, obviously with uh, him being a former chief, but uh, I, I think D Ford maybe will have something to prove up his sleeve. Um, so D Ford and, and I really think Hardman could be the game changer for the chiefs. Yeah. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. So there you have it. That's our breakdown of the Super Bowl. We got more on this with Allie Trost of Sports Radio 810 when she joins us coming up next. Then later on, we do want to talk about Kobe and take the time to remember him and his legacy. Also, uh, want to talk some Big 12 hoops and get to our Tom Fullery story of the week. All that and more coming up. But first, Allie Trost joins us next to talk more about this Super Bowl on the other side, right here on the Jones Report. Joining us now from Sports Radio 810, it is Chiefs reporter Allie Trost, who will be taking her talents to South Beach next week for the Super Bowl, the 54th edition, as the Kansas City Chiefs take out the San Francisco 49ers. Allie, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. Uh, how excited are you for next week? Uh, can't come soon enough, I imagine. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Number one, because the weather, I'm ready to get out of snowy gloomy Kansas City and down to a 70-degree 70 70 degree Miami, Florida. But, no, it's going to be an awesome week. I mean, I've been out at Arrowhead all week talking with coaches and players, but, you know, they're excited. The media, we're all excited, too, to get down and, you know, cover this team that we've been covering all season long in what's about to be, you know, potentially the, you know, the highest moment of the season – uh, and hopefully all that hard work culminating into one big Super Bowl win. So very, very excited to get down there. Yeah, it should be great to see this uh, all finally cultivate and get together. And, you know, Allie, I was thinking about this. This was the thing that everybody's been waiting for all season long. Yes, last year's team had Super Bowl aspirations, and they certainly could have gone there. But it felt like all season long, this was what was supposed to happen, that it was uh, a redeem factor of some sorts from last season, that all the parts and pieces were there together. There, there, there just feels something right. Like this is uh, the Chiefs are like taking their rightful place of some sorts being in this Super Bowl. Yeah, it does, but it, it also doesn't because, you know, put yourself back you know, in October when the Chiefs had just lost back-to-back games. They had just lost at home to the Houston Texans. And there were a lot of questions at that point. You know, a lot of people were wondering, maybe it's just not the year. Mahomes had retweaked that ankle injury he was dealing with at the time, which seemed like worst-case scenario up until the next week or two when he then dislocated his kneecap. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll honestly say that, I didn't think at some point that this was going to be the year. You know, you have Matt Moore step in. He finishes 1-1 one and one as a starter, which is good. Kept them in a good enough position. But the fact that they finished 12-4 and four and then still had, you know, everything fall in their favor in the playoffs for the second year in a row with the home field advantage and then that first round bye, that was all the difference. I don't think it was up until, honestly, Miami Dolphins upsetting the Patriots. That's when I was like, "Oh, wait a second, they've got a chance." They just finished the regular season twelve and four, beat the Los Angeles Chargers at home in a game that they were expected to win. But still, the Chiefs had a pretty easy ride through that final half of the season. They were playing the Broncos, the Raiders, uh, two teams who were not, you know, not going to make the postseason 
and then the Chargers, who also didn't make the postseason. So they weren't playing teams outside of maybe the Patriots on the road that you know were really showing you if this team was actually going to be ready for the playoffs. Yeah, the defense is putting up those amazing numbers, but against two, Derek Carr and the Raiders, uh, you know, a third time starting Drew Locke in a snow game. I just think that, honestly, it wasn't until the Chiefs came back after trailing the Texans that I was like, okay, this is the year. That's, for me, that's when the turn happened. Because this whole season has been full of full of adversity between injuries and illness and all of the other things, and not just with Patrick Mahomes either. Defensive tackle Chris Jones, defensive end Frank Clark, then you've got the offensive line who is dealing with a plethora of injuries all season long. Then you lose Juan Thornhill, and there were a lot, I mean, just all season long, there were a lot of questions about this team and if they could come together, and I think now at their healthiest, at maybe their most complete state, we're about to see that, and I think that this is the most confident that not only I felt in the team, but I think most fans have as well. So with that being said, uh, you know, there's two perspectives, I think, looking at that. You point to that all the injuries they've been through, that they've certainly been tested, but the competition necessarily in this winning streak they've been on to in the season has not been the greatest per se. So with that being said, do you think this team has been tested enough to be prepared for this point to take on San Francisco? Because we, we know that San Francisco's been battle-tested uh, with some of the teams that they've faced. Uh, I mean, they had some great games with Seattle there down the stretch. You know, Minnesota was a good win. Green Bay was a really good win. Uh, do you think they're tested enough as compared to San Francisco, per se? Yeah, I do, 100%. Because, well, first of all, the Chiefs have seen the Vikings and the Packers. Granted, that was with Matt Moore quarterback, but those two games could have both been wins easily. And looking at the way that they shut down the Minnesota Vikings run offense, that gives me a lot of confidence in this defense because that was still at a point in the season where things were, were really still starting to turn around. That was right before the Titans lost on the road in Week 10. Um, but, you know, Mahomes didn't get to play in those games, so it's oh, kind of hard to say what would have happened offensively. But I think in the postseason – Seeing the Texans and then the Titans, the Titans, sure, they, you know, they were a sixth seed. They weren't necessarily the favorite going into the playoffs, but they were the hottest playoff team, I would say, that had to play in every single game, you know, wild card divisional round uh, and then the championship game. So I think that they've been tested because Deshaun Watson and the Texans aren't a joke. They got ahead 24 nothing with a lot of help from the Chiefs. Um, and then the Titans, you know, they put up a good fight as well, but I, I, I do think I agree that the 49ers have probably had a harder path to this point, but I also don't think that the 49ers have faced the team that's going to pose as big of a threat as the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 110% uh, as far as that goes. And with that being said, San Francisco, they've obviously had a fantastic season getting to this point as the number one seed, the NFC, and the teams that they face. That defense is so good. That looks like a complete football team. And, Allie, the way the Chiefs have played, yes, they've had a great postseason run, but I'm thinking to myself, no more of this slow start business. This cannot happen again against San Francisco. If they're down by a significant margin in that second quarter, it's going to be extremely difficult to come back. I know they've done this, and that's what we've seen this postseason, but 
Uh, this team, this this is a different animal that the San Francisco team is compared to uh, those previous teams. They, I, I would say that they cannot afford a slow start like they've had in these other previous games. They're going to need to jump out pretty quickly. I would agree 100%. I actually was on another show yesterday talking about that exact same thing because this game is going to be very, very close. It's not going to be a game where you can you know, get a sustainable lead and then get comfortable at all because both of these teams – this season have shown they've that they can come back with Patrick Mahomes starting. The Chiefs and the 49ers are seven and one this season, or seven and one either this season or this season and last season uh, with Garoppolo. Or no, it was this season. Sorry. Okay, seven and one huh. this season when trailing by ten, or they're seven and one when trailing by ten points. Other teams in the league are don't even come close. So both teams have proven that they can come back from a deficit. And not just a deficit, but a double, a double digit deficit, which is an incredibly hard thing to do in this sport and especially in a playoff situation and more importantly in a Super Bowl situation. So the fact that both teams have not only, you know, shown that they can do that, you know, earlier this season, but that they can also utilize all of their weapons offensively and defensively to make it happen is what makes me a little bit nervous. And we talked this week to the coordinators and to the players about that slow start. Why? Why was it happening? Like, how? How can you fix that? What is the cause? Can you trace it back to anything? Are there any commonalities between the two games and how you prepared that might indicate? Oh, this is the cause of the slow starts. And you know, Mitchell Schwartz said, you know, from an offensive perspective, he said Andy Reid is the best first fifteen coach in football. He said it's not his fault; it's just the lack of execution on our end. So that was his kind of perspective offensively. Eric Bieniemy said, you know, he was asked, were the players just a little too hyped? Were they just too amped up, too excited? And he said maybe that that could be the cause. But he also said that, you know, it's, it's okay if we if we fall behind. It's just focusing on the next play and trying to prepare prepare prepare. Hello, I can talk um, in practice each week and playing at that full game with the clock ticking down so that when they go out in a game situation, it's like they've already done it. On the defensive side of the ball, Anthony Hitchens, you know, one of the first things she said was like, we just, we can't come out slow. We can't come out slow. He said they have to, you know, prioritize stopping the run against another team that's really good at running the football in the 49ers and then trying to get on the field and get three and out, get the offense out on the field. And then, you know, Spags talked about it as well. So, you know, everyone is aware of the last two games and how they started off and then just making sure that they're going out and executing and just minimizing the mistakes. I think that was the common theme throughout everyone who, you know, talked about those slow starts, just minimizing the mistakes, being, you know, sound in their fundamentals and then just having a plan and executing and not letting all the noise or any of, you know, the, the magnitude of the moment kind of get to them, just really going out there and getting the job done. We're joined by Allie Charles from Sports Radio 810 right now. And uh, Allie, when you look at this matchup, you have the top defense in the National Football League and the top offense in the National Football League, and something's got to give. Historically speaking, the defense has had the edge in these type of matchups of the top D versus the top O. In this case, though, this looks a bit different, though. We're talking about Patrick Mahomes. In all those other circumstances, uh, there hasn't been a mahomes like in uh, in that situation per se. So when you look at that, I mean, this is quite 
a challenge ahead for both sides of just this uh, strength versus strength. I mean, uh, this Super Bowl, we're truly getting the uh, best of the best here with this matchup. Oh, absolutely. And that's what makes this one interesting, especially going forward uh, as, you know, the perception of what the strong suit is, what's, be- what's you know, better to have on your team, the strongest offense or the strongest defense. And I think we're about to find that out uh, come Super Bowl Sunday. But the way I look at it, because historically, yes, you're right, having, you know, the number one defense usually gives you the edge. But in this case, Patrick Mahomes, like you said, is just different. And look at what he did in the AFC Championship game last year. 24 points in the fourth quarter alone to force an overtime situation against the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Obviously, that game did not fall in their favor, but still, that's something you can't defend. You can't defend a player who can go out there and make magic happen in just 15 minutes after trailing for a majority of the entire game. So I think that if Mahomes and if the receivers, my biggest concern is, you know, we talk about the slow starts, but a big part of those slow starts are the drop passes. Yeah. This is what, you know, has me wondering, you know, it doesn't matter what Mahomes does. Mahomes was great in both games against the Titans and the Texans, but he was getting killed by his receivers dropping passes in, in crucial situations. And so, to me, that's going to be, a, you know, the offense needs to be really, really clean in that area. Just make sure that they are, you know, not letting any of those kind of mistakes happen. So, um, if that if they're able to do that and just go out and be as electric and, you know, connecting the way that they, you know, do in games where they are just on fire and are unstoppable, I don't think that any defense can, you know, stop them. Yeah, well, and, and I think that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy they can't be afraid to make an ad- adjustments as far as that receiving core goes. If it, it looks like it's not uh, Sammy Watkins' day, then it's not his day. Give more targets to McCole Hardman. Uh, adjust accordingly. Um, you know, don't force it if it's not there, per se. I, that's what I'm intrigued to see It's just how that plays out, per se, uh, in uh, in that regard. Uh, in this straight for straight <laughs> Sammy here. I don't know. That touchdown, uh, that final touchdown in the Titans game on Sunday, his first touchdown, I believe, since it was, you know, early in the season, week one or two. I can't remember between him and Demarcus Robinson who had the day first. I think it was D Rob against the Jags, and then maybe it was Sammy against the Raiders. Either way, he's been basically dormant for the entire season, and then that touchdown, uh, he did such a great job on that route, making sure that he was you know, creating space for himself and then taking off and using his speed to get in the end zone. I'm ready to see more of that in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, could you see me walking today? That's kind of my little pre-Super Bowl prediction. I think we're going to see a big, a big game from Sammy Watkins. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be great to see. Um, you know, we'll all. Uh, I'm not going to jump on that uh, edge yet, but uh, I'll let you go ahead and hang out there. But I would like to see it happen. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, Alex Trost of Sports Radio 810, I guess. And uh, you know, Joe Burrow kind of had a. You know, I look back at that college football national championship. If you want a blueprint of offensive strength defeating defensive strength. There's it right there. The college football national championship with LSU and Joe Burrow and company did what I think 
Chiefs fans would like to see against San Francisco of uh, in that regard. I think that's something you could point to of offensive strength being better than defensive strength. Uh, an example right there just within the last couple of weeks. So uh, possibly a, a good sign there. Uh, Andy Reid, this has been a long time coming, a long time since he's been in a Super Bowl. We've been waiting for this one for a while. You know, you go back to it was the uh, Super Bowl game against New England the last time that he was there with T.O. and Donovan McNabb and company, and they fell short in that one. Um, he's come awfully close several times, both with Philly and Kansas City. It, it feels like, Allie, that this one is uh, just as much about Andy as anybody, about getting Andy this ring. Uh, the you know He's got more wins than any coach in the entire history of the league without winning a Super Bowl, and just the, the length that it's been. You know, Obviously, he's been good enough as a coach to do that, but everything just hasn't come together. Is that kind of the sense you're getting? This is about Andy just as much as it is about anybody? Yeah, but Coach Reed wouldn't be the one to say that. Right. You know, when you ask the players and some of the other coordinators about it, they've all said, and it was more so, you know, those questions haven't been asked as much recently because, you know, it was really ahead of the AFC Championship game because obviously, you know, you get that win, you go to the Super Bowl, and and so he's, the co- coaches and, and other players have been asked about, you know, what would this mean for Coach Reed? And all of them have just said, you know, they'd either be happier for Reed. Special teams coordinator Dave Tobe said he doesn't think he'd stop hugging him. He'd hug him forever, uh, would be crying. Eric the enemy, you know, just said we have to get this win for him. Travis Kelsey, same thing. Uh, and then what's impressed me even more is, you know, the questions about Coach Reed and, and how he is as a coach and, and why – you know, he's able to connect with his players so well. And Dustin Colquitt might have said it best yesterday. He just said that he really takes the time to get to know the players off the field. He says he coaches everyone differently because you have to. Every person is different. Every individual is an individual. So you have to treat them as such. And that he really takes the time. So he's never putting players in situations that he knows that they can't handle, that he knows they're not in a position to use their strong suits. He really make sure that he understands. And that's what allows him to be so successful then as a coach because he takes all that time, you know, outside of, you know, outside of the training facilities, outside of the game, to really make sure that he is understanding how to use what he has, not only to the best of his ability, but to the best of the player's ability as well. And so, you know, just hearing players like Dustin Colquitt, who's been with the Chiefs for 15 years, and then just really seeing – an entire team and you know coaching staff rally behind this one individual and coach reed is really really special and so i think not only within the chiefs organization but even beyond throughout the nfl i think if if coach reed and the chiefs are able to get this super bowl win there are going to be a lot of people who are who are rooting for andy yeah i think so uh, it seems like winning the afc was for the Hunt family, and getting that trophy back to them was so big. And this Super Bowl seems like it's about Andy uh, of finally breaking through and get, getting him uh, his, uh, as far as that goes at this point in time. We know it would be huge uh, for him to uh, break through and, and get this opportunity to do so. Um, you know, th- This is unfamiliar territory for Kansas City. First Super Bowl in, uh, in 50 years. Uh, we, we, that's been you know well documented and such. You know just how rare this type of deal is. What what do you think it, it the feeling is uh, around this team, this organization? Are you getting that same sense of that everybody's just kind of 
taking it all in per se that you know enjoying this moment considering just how rare this is I know that there's probably a lot of Super Bowls for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the future but are, are, are you getting the sense of just uh that you know people are taking it in how how special this this is right now if they're if they're doing that, they're not letting us know. The biggest thing that's been emphasized this week is really just how important it is to this team and organization to make sure that they are making every day, every practice as normal as possible. Early in the week to kind of eliminate, minimize those distractions, got all of the, you know, tickets and family arrangements out of the way, get all that stuff done, enjoy the AC championship win on Sunday. Monday it was right back to work watching film trying to make sure that all distractions are gone and so that it's just football, football, football from here on out. And, you know, Coach Reed, having having been there before, granted it's, it's been about, I don't know, what, 15 years since he was at his Super Bowl in 2004 with the Eagles. But, you know, he remembers some things from that. They've also leaned on the experience of guard Stefan Wisniewski and then, you know, Terrell Suggs as well, players who have won a Super Bowl and have been in that situation before, having them kind of help walk the other guys through what, you know, how to handle all of it, what to expect. And I think that's been, you know, probably the biggest thing is just, you know, making sure that everyone's asking the right questions, leaning on each other, um, to just not go into this thing confused or, you know, I guess just they don't want to have any surprises. Sure. So making sure that, you know, everyone is just fully prepared, not only – on the football side, but with what to expect once they get down to Miami. So I think that they're in good hands, but I mean, you can tell the players are enjoying it. They're the, one of the last teams standing, and, you know, you get through the entire postseason the way that they did. I think that, yes, they're enjoying it, but right now they're not going to really enjoy it until they're standing there up on that stage with a ring on their finger. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Ali Trosa, Sports Radio 810, joining us uh, here this week. And, uh you know, you mentioned just how long it's been that Andy's been there. I, I was—I know that you weren't very old, Allie. I was in third grade the last time Andy Reid went to the Super Bowl. Um, it's been a minute, so this will be uh, so great to see him just there. Whether you're a Chiefs fan or not, you got to be happy for, for Andy to be in this circumstance. Tell me this, what's the week in Miami look like? I believe they leave on Sunday, and then, of course, you have the – uh, an opening night on Monday, and then practices and all sorts of stuff. What's kind of the week in Miami look like for this team? Yeah, so like you said, they'll have opening night. I'm not too sure. I, I got an email from the NFL that I need to you know, go in and skim through. What I do know is that on Thursday and Friday, I believe, or Wednesday, Thursday, they're going to have the AFC media availability from 7 a.m. until 8.15 a.m., and so we'll go in during that time and it's kind of just what I, from what I've heard a free-for-all where you talk to players and you just you know it's kind of a scrum-like situation you might have one guy who doesn't talk to anybody and then you might have someone like Patrick Mahomes who's talking to everybody so um that's kind of what I know from a media perspective of what to expect but um you know Coach Reed studies like there, there are a lot of distractions especially when you add on that you're in Miami but he said he trusts his players he trusts that you know they'll handle themselves the right way and they're just trying to make sure that you know, everyone understands, like, hey, there's going to be media responsibilities. There's going to be a lot more of them. They understand that, you know, people are trying to consume every, you know, story or all the information they can get ahead of this Super Bowl, and so they get it. But, you know, just trying to maintain that normalcy uh, in between and in and, and what they can control, which is how they practice, um, how they meet, and how they, you know, discuss 
the game with one another, how they prepare, and so that's what they're really focusing on. But that's a little bit of what you can expect. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the holding rolls. The last time I covered a really big event was NBA All-Star Game in 2017, and so that was kind of the last, you know, the only thing I have to go off of in terms of, like, a huge production where you have media from all over the country and all over the world coming in to cover it. So we'll see. I might have uh, an Ali Trost review of my very first Super Bowl experience after this. So we'll see. But if anything... This chief organization is incredibly detail-oriented. They'll have all of the, all of the logistics, logistics figured out beforehand. Yeah, let's have you back on uh, after the Super Bowl and kind of get uh, your perspective and kind of tell us exactly how everything went from uh, your vantage point uh, when that does happen. Uh, with that being said, uh, this is not a cheap trip by any means. I was reading that parking alone is $120 on game day and tailgating is not allowed. How well do you think the Chiefs are going to be represented of folks uh, making this journey, making this trek? I know that Super Bowl's been on people's minds since you know before the year started and such. Uh, do, do you think that this is going to be a, a, a Chiefs-heavy atmosphere, or are we talking more a uh, you know a business-like crowd per se? With a, what's what, what do you think it's going to be like? How well do you think the Chiefs are going to be represented down there? You know, I don't know because I feel like. Kansas City is one of those fan bases that, you know, A, does travel well, and B, would travel well. But you mentioned the price, and it's just, it's an expensive trip. Like, getting to Miami any time of year isn't cheap. Staying in Miami any time of year isn't cheap. And so, I, you know, again, I'm staying in an Airbnb through work. I can't even imagine what the cost would be like if you either had it booked in advance or, or whatever, you know, the reason. But I think we'll see a mix, you know. Typical Super Bowl crowds, I feel like, are pretty, I don't know. Like you said, you got some just kind of like high rolling business people who want to go to the Super Bowl. But I think we'll see a decent number of Chiefs fans. I think we'll see more Chiefs fans than we will 49ers fans. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a a good guess, uh, per se, uh, with the 49ers barely selling out some games this year at one point. Exactly. Uh, So that should be a good sign for the Chiefs uh, to get that full atmosphere, per se, uh, as far as the game goes, you know, one, one of the things I'm looking for is is uh, when they face Jimmy G. And in in my mind, I look at Jimmy G. Alley, and I say that you know, there's nothing that nothing to fear going up against Garoppolo. But at the same time, when he's been up for the challenge, whether it was you know against the Saints, putting up 48 points, or some of these other you know other teams, he's you know, done his part, and he's done his own per se. How are you feeling about this uh, this Chiefs defense going up against Garoppolo in this uh, 49ers offense? You see, I think this matchup is less about Jimmy G against Mahomes and more about Coach Reed and Kyle Shanahan. These are two excellent offensive minds who are very creative, who are both going to throw out some things that, you know, neither are expecting to see, although both will prepare very well. They're going to, you know, have a backup plan in case, you know, plan A doesn't go as what they are anticipating or what, you know, they were expecting to see. Um, But these are two coaches who, you know, offensively this season have really proven, um, you know, just what offense can kind of be like now in the NFL and how you can be more creative with it and using, you know, the passing game and the run game. Uh, More so on the 49ers with the run game than I would say the Chiefs. But still, these are two coaches – who are really, really tough offensively. One of them has a better weapon in Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. But I think Kyle Shanahan knows how to play the Jimmy Garoppolo's strength a lot better. 
um, than, you know, maybe another coach who would have Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback. So that's what I'm more interested to see is how, you know, this game goes as far as play calling between Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid. Uh, but I'm with you, though. Like, at the end of the day, if you want to have – if it's coming down to the wire and you're choosing between having Jimmy Garoppolo – or Patrick Mahomes, you're going to pick Patrick Mahomes. But then I remember, what was the game where the 49ers were marching down the field trying to win? And I want to say Garoppolo hit Kittle for like a huge play, but it was more about the way that Kittle was able to make himself open and because he's, he's such a good blocker and he's a huge part of not only what they do in the passing game, but the run game as well with how he's able to block. I can't remember the game. I need to go back and look. But, you know, I don't think it's more... I think it's more about the receivers and like a George Kittle than it is about Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't go and make magic out of nothing like Mahomes can. And so that's where I think, you know, the game is going to be won. It's going to be won on capitalizing on a turnover or capitalizing on, you know, you know, great field position and then being able to, you know, get some quick points out of that, with which the Chiefs are able to do. We've seen them put together some very quick drives, um, less than a minute, and they're able to, you know, walk away with a touchdown. So I think we'll see more of that, but this is something that I have my eye on because, like we said, this is a game where you can't come out slow, you can't fall behind by 10, 20, 24 points. You're going to have to come out fast, and you're going to have to come out with the mindset of putting up points and then playing sound defensively. But tell me the the last time that Patrick Mahomes fumbled the football for a loss. It's uh, been a minute. So week six against the Texans, they lost that game. Guess how many times that the 49ers have forced a fumble for loss this season? Uh, I would guess quite a few times. 27. Wow. That's even more than I thought. Seven. Mahomes has not fumbled and then lost the football since week six. This game is going to come down to turnovers and just sloppy plays on special teams or dropped passes. That stuff has to be cleaned up. You you cannot turn over the ball in this game, and that is something that I've got my eye on is, you know, if they're able with their the way that they utilize their pass rush, the four-man rush, and putting pressure on the home to force a fumble, and if they recover that football, that scares me. So that's something that, you know, just be aware of. Um, but, again, that's something that I think Mahomes will be ready for and they'll have a plan for, whereas Jimmy Garoppolo – I think it's a little easier to shake up. Yeah. Um, You mentioned George Kittle. These are the two top tight ends in the league in Kelsey and Kittle. Um, I would expect them both to uh, step up to the challenge and uh, have some big days. This could be fun to see for both these guys to have uh, in the post-Gronk era the uh, two best of the league go head-to-head. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be great to see both of them play because we haven't seen them play one another since what? It was like week three of 2018. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good one. I'm 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 with you. I'm looking forward to that matchup. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we let you run here, Allie, uh, tell us exactly uh, what you got going on Super Bowl week. I know you'll be in Miami for part of the week, but then you're coming back and going to be down at Power and Light, I believe. What's kind of the rundown for you, and where uh, can people go for this uh, this uh, uh, you know Super Bowl party you guys are are, are doing? Yeah, so I'll be down, like I said. Uh, in Miami until the 31st, and then I will be back in Kansas City that night. Uh, we will be doing on 8-10, 14-plus straight hours of Chiefs pregame coverage. I'll have a three-hour show 
from midnight till 3 a.m. So if you want to stay up with me, great. If not, I don't blame you. You can get the podcast version the next day. Um, but then head down to Power and Life. We will be kicking our party off around noon. If you were there this summer for the U.S. Women's World Cup watch party, you understand how fun this is. There's going to be 10,000-plus people in KC Live Block. I'll be up on stage with Nate Bucati. We'll be doing giveaways, contests, all sorts of things all day long. So come out and join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be awesome. Uh, everybody get involved and check that out. I, I, I might even have to stop by at some point. Uh, that looks like yes. uh, a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to it. Allie, a, a great week ahead. I hope everybody just soaks it all in and just enjoys what's ahead because this is, this is something special. This doesn't happen very often uh, in your first time in 50 years. And uh, so definitely want to enjoy that. Allie, appreciate the time. Where can people connect with you and, and uh, see what all you're doing uh, throughout these next couple of days? Yeah, as always, the best place to follow me is on the old Twitter. So look for me there. And you can also find our work on Sports Radio 810 on Facebook, online at 810whb.com. Um, we're, we're all over everything. So if you're not tuning in on your radio, make sure you look for us online. Perfect. Allie, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tyler. Big thanks to Ali Trost from WHB Sports Radio 810 for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Tom, the unfortunate news of the passing of Kobe Bryant, just a tragic accident that happened over the weekend, a helicopter crash as Kobe and eight others passed away, including his daughter and uh I believe that the others were a part of his daughter's uh, basketball team, parents and and uh, other players and such. Just a horrific situation as uh, they were flying into fog. It was a very foggy day in L.A., which doesn't happen very often. And, uh, you know, obviously couldn't see where they're going. One thing leads to another, and there's a crash, and everybody died in that situation. But Kobe Bryant was close to the age of 42, just at 41 years of age. And to me, it it still hasn't sunk in yet that we lost one of the greatest players in NBA history, one of the most well-known athletes in the world. And it's hard to compare because we haven't had athletes this young die so early in life. Um, for him to be not that far removed from being retired, it's just extremely rare. Uh, you could point to Dale Earnhardt when he crashed in Daytona in, uh, in his late forties when he was still racing, obviously, and he passed away, but this just doesn't happen every day. This feels like it's on the level of JFK and. Elvis and those, you know, I mean, this is just so huge. And I feel for not only Vanessa and the Bryant family, but all the families involved in this situation. We cannot forget them. Um, They don't have the luxury of the lifestyle that Kobe had built for his family, per se, of all the riches uh, that he had gained throughout his career to be able to leave a good life behind for the rest of his rest of his family per se these other families don't get to experience that and so many 
touching tributes the last several days from all over just the world, not just the sports world, but it really puts this into perspective that these athletes are human, that they're like us, that Kobe Bryant, although he was known for being such a great basketball player, he was a good person. He did so much for other people. The way that he promoted women's basketball, the Academy Award he won back in 2018, just the other projects that he was involved in, just an incredible, well-rounded person. And what's heaven's gain is our world's loss in the passing of Kobe Bryant. And it's still just hard to put into words and really come to a belief that this actually happened, Tom. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, Jones. And, and just to think, uh, you know, when, when players, and, and it's hard to compare to this, uh, but I'm going to compare it anyway. Um, you know, we grew, you know, we're, I'm a little, obviously a little bit older than you. Um, and, and I probably got to see a little, maybe a little bit more Kobe Bryant as far as the video games go and, and just the lore of the Lakers that early, um, mainly because they were kicking my Spurs ass back in the day and, and, and the battles uh, between my Spurs and Kobe Bryant and, and just me being a kid uh, knowing that, hey, Tim Duncan and crew have to go up against Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, and, and what a daunting task that was, not only for the teams that went up against him, but for the fans that had to face him knowingly, knowing that Kobe had the mob of mentality in him that would eventually subdue your team into a playoff loss. It was, it was magic. Um, and then back, you know, back then it, we didn't have access to the players like we did now. We didn't get to see maybe, uh, you know, the intricate lifestyles that they live is now that we do like on Instagram and, and Twitter. We didn't get to see that. We didn't get to interact with them. We didn't get to see them replying to tweets on Twitter or quotes on Instagram. We didn't get to see that. Now we're more connected than we ever have been to these athletes. So back then, especially as a kid, uh, seeing Kobe Bryant um, or, you know, even further back even on, on, on the plane that Michael Jordan was, we didn't, you know, every time they step out of the court is when we got to see them and that was our access. And so it was like a mythical, mythical figure coming out and just putting your hopes to rest or, you know, destroying your hopes if you weren't a Lakers fan. Um, and, and so in that form, like so many of our childhood heroes in sports are, have already retired now, obviously we're at the age where they've, they've long since been retired or they are still now retiring with, you know, uh, I mean, you could, you could take it, you could look at your team, the Steelers, you look at Heinz Ward and Troy Polamalu and, and all those players, I look at Marshall Falk, Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker retiring. And, and, and Jones, I cried when Duncan retired. I cried when Ginobili retired. Uh, and, and so for any Lakers fans out there, I'm sure that cried the same way I did when Tim Duncan retired, cried when Kobe retired. And I can imagine the pain that the fans are feeling. I also can't imagine the pain that Vanessa Bryant is feeling now that she's lost not only her husband, but also a daughter. Uh, in the same plane wreck. Uh, not only that, but the other people who also lost their lives. It's just almost unimaginable to think that this has actually happened. Um, I read something on Reddit actually today that the pilot 
of that helicopter, Kobe Bryant made a pact with his wife that said, we'll never be on the same helicopter together. One being, we don't both want to die in an accident. Two, the likelihood that helicopters wreck a lot of the time is very likely compared to any other form of transportation. Um, secondly, um, him trusting that pilot so much. Um, the pilot had no other previous, any, you know, any record against him against, you know, bad flying habits or anything like that. Uh, another thing, Jones, you had mentioned that this is on the same level as Elvis. This is on the same level of so many other big people that we've seen pass away just suddenly. I mean, you can compare this to the day the music died, which was Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and uh, J.P. Richardson, um, also in a, in a plane crash or, you know, air transportation crash in Iowa. That was like back in the 50s or early 60s, the day the music died. You can put this on the level that you could put it on on Big End Tupac. You could put this on the level that you could put Prince on. You could put the level, this is the level, the same level of Michael Jackson. Because, Jones, especially for our age group, I mean, it transcends all age groups. But essentially us watching Kobe growing up, essentially with Kobe, and he was obviously a little bit older than us. I, mean, I guess more like 13 years to that extent, at least on my end. Um, to that extent. You know, you idolize these people that you see on TV and you idolize these people and you'd mention that they are real people and, and that Kobe was such a great day guy and he was so cultured. I mean, this is the guy, Jones, uh, you know, that that was was not, you know, was born, I believe, in Italy uh, to military parents. This this guy could speak Italian, Spanish and English. And he's he's the guy that is sitting in L.A. after a game, uh, which is. L.A., like New York City, is, is a melting pot of America with so many different ethnicities and cultures. This guy, Jones, is responding to Italian reporters, Spanish reporters, and English reporters within a matter of minutes in their native language. And, and you know, that in itself is amazing because, you know, you see Paul Gasol responding in Spanish. Sergio Baca responding in Spanish, Ginobili in Portuguese and Spanish. You know, you see these these foreign players, but then a guy like Kobe goes out, responds in three different languages, plays for the USA team, has all these accolades, uh, and, and all these different things, transcends all of sports with culture. Uh, it's not a basketball thing anymore. And this, this would essentially be the same uh, as Michael Jordan dying at a young age. Uh, this would be the same thing as LeBron. This would be the same thing as Tom Brady. This would be, this transcends, I mean, I know I've named sports figures, but this transcends everything because Kobe Bryant was not just a basketball icon. He was a worldwide icon. He was a cultural freaking icon. And this is a day we will never forget. Um, and not only Kobe Bryant, because all those other people that died in the wreck matter too. I mean, the guy, the, the baseball coach, um, Altabelli, uh, from Orange County, California, you know, that, that baseball program was not, uh, not just a slouch program. That was a quality baseball program and he had, you know, many wins there. And so, so for his family, I, I think he had a stepdaughter and a son and for that stepdaughter son, they only, they lost a mother, a father and the other sister in that wreck. Uh, you think about the, the pilot's family, what, you know, kind of guilt that they must be thinking about like, Hey, uh, you know, our son or our, you know, our father, our brother, you know, ended up being the one flying this plane, bringing this down. Uh, what kind of, you know, guilt that they must be facing on that. And, and, you know, freak accidents happen all the time. And it's not putting blame on anybody. 
Um, but just the whole thing in itself is a tragedy. It's exactly, it's equal to the day the music died. Uh, it's exactly equal to Prince. It's exactly equal to Michael Jackson. It's equal to all these things. It's, it's, it is the biggest tragedy that we've seen in a long time as far as worldwide icons, yeah, cultural icons, sports figures. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, just an, a terrible situation in every way you could imagine. And, you know, looking at his daughter, uh, Gianna, who passed in this process, here was a girl that was, you know, in her teenage years, well on her way. Kobe said uh, not too long ago that she was already more developed as a player than he was at that age. Now, obviously, every dad brags on their kid, but he spoke the world of her, and she had a bright future going forward, and you hate to see that just ripped away, that come to an end. And Kobe Bryant was on his way to doing so many other things. I saw an interview just the other day that he did with uh, A-Rod and Big Cat from Barstool, and he said that this was around his 40th birthday. He said, if my last, if my next 20 years are not more successful than my past 20 years, I would have failed as a human being. He put that much pressure on himself. The Mamba mentality was something that I think that when we look back on the legacy and the life of Kobe Bryant, that's something that we can all live by something that we can all learn. You don't even have to be a basketball fan to understand that Mamba mentality, that it's never good enough, that you continue to work hard and push through and get that ultimate prize. That was something you could live by. And I think that, to me, yes, Kobe had his flaws. I totally understand. There is a charge of rape in Kobe Bryant's name. You can't erase that. That happened. Um, very well aware. And Kobe has admitted some fault of some sorts in that circumstance. Those things are still there. But when you look back, there was more good than bad, per se. Then you can still remember some positives and still take away something from this to carry forward in this situation in regards to Kobe Bryant and who he was and his legacy going forward uh, for years to come in uh, this situation. The world will never be the same losing Kobe Bryant. I heard a great tribute that uh, Elle Duncan, uh, Ellie Duncan put together from ESPN, and she was talking about a conversation she had with Kobe about being a father and how he had three girls at the time and one more was on the way and that he enjoyed being a girl dad and how much that meant to him. He said that was the best thing, was being a girl dad, and that if he could, he'd have five more girls. That's how much it meant to him, getting to raise his daughters and being a father and being there for them. Say what you want about Kobe and his mistakes that he made along the way. You know, he clearly was not a perfect person. I was not a fan of Kobe Bryant, to be honest with you, in his career. But what you can't deny is 
that he had an incredible career, one of the greatest players of all time, and that he loved his kids, and that he was there for them, and he provided everything, and he was an active father in their lives. And so many times we are talking about fathers not being there for their kids and not being active in the lives like they should be. But you cannot deny that Kobe was there for his kids. Although it ended tragically for him, he's still getting to live on with that, with, uh, with Gianna in that next life. And to me, that's, that's still something special. So no matter what you say about Kobe, you cannot deny the man who he was of the player and the father that he is and the impact that he made on so many people. Um, it's something that we can certainly take away, and that Mamba mentality is going to live on for a long time. Yeah, it definitely will. And, and Bill Plaschke of the LA Times, you know, and I feel like a lot of people know Bill Plaschke on, on around the horn and and his antics there. But uh, one of the best articles that I've read in a long time, Bill Plaschke summed up, you know, Kobe Bryant's death and the impact that he had, not only on the NBA because it was. It, it, I mean, they're talking about, you know, retiring 24 for good and, and and essentially changing Jerry West from the NBA logo to Kobe Bryant, which I, I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement with. I mean, no slide on Jerry West. And, and Jerry West had a lot to say on Kobe Bryant as well. It was like losing a son, he said. But Bill Plasky summed it up in a way that, that – that I, don't, I don't know if it put me at ease and, and – there are a lot of Laker fans. It, I mean, this is this is the equivalent for Laker fans. It'd be like a manager Ginobili died for me, or you know, on on my end, it would be the same way. I would feel the same way. But uh, it, you know, Kobe Bryant had such an impact that we talk about you know shooting a paper ball into a trash can and saying Kobe that will never die. And and another thing that Bill Plaschke, like I mentioned previously, had said he he said on your best days, the days you landed a big account or aced a big test or survived a battle with traffic. You feel like Kobe. You were Kobe. And in the end, as he retired into a life of movies and books, coaching Gianna's basketball team, he was us. And that summed it up, you know, for me thinking that, you know, he was this big flashy superstar and, and he was a, a mythical figure on the court for me as a kid. And and I wasn't a Kobe fan in the sense that I was a Laker fan or, you know, just a fan of his because I've never been just a fan of an individual player unless they were on the Spurs. Um, but for that, I was a fan of Kobe Bryant, even if I knew he was going to be my team. Just I'm, I'm a fan or was a fan. Still, I am a fan of Kobe Bryant the way I'm a fan of Tom Brady. Uh, it's a respect thing from a, a different fan base point of view. Not only that, uh, but the way he handled after his career on on focusing on things that are bigger than basketball that are bigger than sports like being a father for your kids supporting them and and encouraging you know the the game of basketball whether that be women's basketball men's basketball pop warner type basketball i mean it didn't matter he was there for it encouraged it and then up until his dying day he encouraged the game of basketball and furthering it with his last tweet being the lebron that said keep on furthering the game of basketball. And, and just for that, it just, oh, God, Jones, it breaks my heart to know that it ended that quickly. And, and you yeah. know, it's pretty cliche, but it does end that quickly. And we're all going to die one day, but it didn't have to. I mean, it did end like that, but it didn't have to end like that. Of all people that it was going to do or happen to, uh, that suddenly uh, just 
just does definitely show you how life can be quickly taken away. It's it's yeah. Last thing on Kobe that I'll take away from looking back on him was that the thing is with with him, and a lot of it came with age too, as he got older in his life, was that he simply just got it. He had things figured out in multiple ways. You mentioned about advancing the game of basketball. There are a number of guys, I'd probably say the vast majority, that could not give a damn about promoting the sport or the league or the game itself and care to be a role model or advance the game going forward. Kobe got that. He understood that. He was still doing that to this day. He got it, what it meant to be a father, what it meant to be there for his kids in those circumstances. Business-wise, he understood what it took to be successful and going out there and making money beyond basketball. He understood that he actually took college courses despite not going to college, going straight to the NBA from high school. He got it. He understood that he needed to go to the classroom and learn what it takes to be successful in business. He understood that. He had all these things mapped out years in advance of what he wanted to do after his basketball career of the movies and and the other projects that in mind. He had that figured out. He just simply got it. And so... You mentioned the languages that he spoke, all these different things. He was the ultimate Renaissance man. And that's the thing to me. I look at Kobe Bryant and something that we can all take away from besides the stuff we mentioned of the Mamba mentality and being a good father for your kids and and you know just all those other things. One thing we can take away from the life of Kobe Bryant is to just have an understanding, to know your purpose to move forward and continue to have a plan and to have a big picture. He was the ultimate big picture guy. And Tom, I think that's one thing that we can all be, we can all be better at that. We can look at Kobe Bryant and reflect back to ourselves is to have more of that big picture per se in mind. Yeah, we really can. There is a lot to learn, uh, a whole lot to learn from Kobe more so than, then we can even, you know, put into words or to even work on, you know, on ourselves for, for years to come just because there are people out there like that who, who have that worth ethic or, you know, I, you know, any interview that comes up, Jones, I like to talk about, you know, they ask you what your worth ethic's like and, and it almost feels disingenuous to even try to even compare it to Kobe because we want to, but that's something you strive for. Uh, you know, almost to work on your craft the same way Kobe did to wake up and go to the gym two hours before team practice and and be there when everybody shows up. That takes a special type of person, uh, not only for working on your craft, but also to be there in the life of your child. Uh, I don't care if you're mother, father, whatever. We get so wrapped up uh, maybe sometimes in ourselves that we forget to think. Uh, about trying to be a part of a kid's life or to, you know, maybe influence something for the better or influence someone who has less than us or could potentially have more than us if if we're there for the right advice and, and, and for the right guidance. And so Kobe Bryant did all of that right. And, and uh, you know, they 
say only the good die young, and that's so cliche, but it also is unfortunately true, and in this case it was. Uh, I mean, as bad as it sounds, I will very, I will be very hesitant to ever get in a helicopter. I've never been on a helicopter ride, but not even at Fort Kobe. It's been many before that because they are so apt to crash, it seems like. But now it's, it just makes it more real that a cultural icon died in this way. Um, yeah. And... And for that, it's just, I, I mean, Jones, it'll be a while. And I'm sure we'll talk about Kobe again. And I don't think we should ever stop talking about Kobe. Um, but, you know, for the time being, you know, we'll talk, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about him down the road. Something else will come up. I don't know if anybody else will sur- surpass 81 points. Uh, but, you know, damn sure if they do, they'll give the tribute to Kobe. And, and I, I, I know you can, and we can talk about this for the rest of the show. I still can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, I can't either. Um, but what a life it was for Kobe Bryant, and it still just seems strange talking about him in the past tense, but uh, his legacy will certainly live on forever. We'll move on. We still have other things to get to on the show today. We are going to have some laughs uh, here in just a second, but first, let's get to our Big 12 basketball breakdown, talking college hoops now. Uh, Over the weekend was the Big 12 SEC Challenge. The Big 12 splits with the SEC at five games apiece. Uh, You had Kansas defeat Tennessee 74-68. Of course, the Jayhawks were playing shorthanded after that just awful brawl against K-State, which made just no sense why Silvio DeSouza was picking up chairs and that whole debacle that was that finished that game. Um and then, of course, he's suspended for 12 games, 10 more to go. David McCormick was suspended for two. He's done with those, and now he's going to be back for KU. Oklahoma gets a nice win over Mississippi State in Oklahoma City, 63-62. Oklahoma State surprised some people with a win over Texas A&M on the road in College Station, 73-62. K-State was not expected to play well against Alabama, and they went right down to the wire. Ultimately, the Tide came away with the win in that one, 77-74. West Virginia was a heavy favorite against Mizzou. They took care of business with a 23-point win. Iowa State, they've struggled this year. They went toe-to-toe with 16th-ranked Auburn and ended up losing that game 80-76. Texas was an underdog against LSU. That game went down to the wire. LSU gets the win 69-67. Arkansas defeats TCU. Arkansas, a much better team on paper. They showed it with a nine-point win. Kentucky and Texas Tech, that game went back in fourth all the way to overtime. Ultimately, Texas Tech fell to Kentucky 76-74. And I watched that entire game from start to finish, Tom. And, you know, there's no moral victories of some sorts in sports. I don't believe in those. But for Texas Tech, it felt like, even with a loss, that they belong now, per se. That the national championship game appearance for them last year was not a fluke by any means. That in this rebuilding year for Texas Tech, not only are they in contention to win the Big 12, but they beat the top-ranked team in the country, Louisville, and went toe-to-toe with Kentucky going to overtime and ultimately lost that game when they had opportunities to win it. Um I feel very good about Texas Tech, even though they fell out of the top 25. And Baylor remains the number one team in the country after their win over Florida, 72-61. to I know the series was split at five games apiece, Tom, 
But I feel really good about where the league is at right now with the way things went and how these games individually were played. When you look more into it, besides the records themselves, when you look at the games per se, uh, I would say that was a very good showing from the league. Yeah, I did. I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was great. I obviously thought it was great to see Oklahoma State get a win that you know they needed uh, for sure. But uh, you know, also for the rest of the Big Twelve, I thought they looked very competitive. Every game was was fairly down to the wire, whether it had been win or loss for the Big Twelve. Uh, I mean, good showing. You know, kind of middle of the pack season here uh, for the Big Twelve. So good showing by all teams. Um, you know, I always like to see these challenges come around because, you know, it's an out of conference game, uh, after the conference play has started and they're, they're always fun, uh, especially when they're against, you know, West Virginia played, uh, Mizzou, the Mizzou game. Uh, you know, it's always fun to see an old, an old friend essentially come back to light and, and same way with Texas A&M, uh, as well. So those are always fun games and, and so good showing, you know, Five and five, not terrible. Maybe not great. Maybe there were a few games. Obviously, they could have won a different way. Uh, Texas Tech could have won, uh, but you mentioned it does feel like they belong, and it did show that they're not a fluke. And and then I feel like that they're here to stay. Um, and as far as Baylor goes, you know, since the last time we talked, they also had a close run in uh, with Oklahoma State, and and you, you know we. Even though, what was it, last night's game, Oklahoma State versus Kansas, Oklahoma State had it, it given KU a run there for a little bit, and uh, despite the record, kind of, you know, for OSU, it looks promising. Um, you know, OU, great win there. Texas gave, looked like gave LSU a run for their money as well. And, and then, obviously, your 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 favorite team down to the south uh, in Manhattan, uh, Bruce Weber's team, uh, that was surprising. Um, so all around great showing, um, you know, the big 12 has a, I, I think from top to bottom, still probably, uh, top two, uh, in the nation as far as the leagues go. Yeah. The big 10 looks like the best team in the country right now. They're going to send possibly 12 teams to the NCAA tournament, which is just insane, um, to think about, but the big 12 certainly holding its own for KU. Let's start there. You have that whole debacle against K-State, which was just a disaster, um, no matter how you slice it. Just an embarrassing look for the university. Um, and this year, unless KU goes out there and makes the Final Four, their season is going to be defined by, people remember this year, for Snoop Dogg and for <laughs> this uh, this brawl of some sorts against K-State. Unless they make a Final Four run, that is going to be what people remember this season by for KU. Um, losing Silvio I don't think is that big of a deal. He was only averaging about nine minutes a game. And McCormick, uh, you lost him for a couple games, but even then, KU still won those games without him. And now they're feeling more comfortable with that four-guard lineup, per se, for KU. Yes, it was a really bad look, and that's sustained, and that's going to be something that we talk about for the rest of the season, the way we view this Kansas team. I get that. But for the basketball side of things, per se, really it could have been a whole lot worse for KU. Silvio DeSouza could have actually hit somebody with that chair and been suspended <laughs> for the entire season. You could have had more guys suspended or punches thrown and some other things. The way it ultimately played out, yes, it was horrible. 
the way that whole ordeal worked. And to me, especially when you talk about the idea of those guys going in the handicap seating section, um, just an awful <laughs> look. To me, I think we're laughing about the whole thing if this happens on the court. To <laughs> I'm me, laughing that, right now. I, th- I mean, uh, me, uh, you know, crossed, no one got seriously injured. It crossed the uh, line so, when it was in the handicap seating section. That, to me, is when yeah. I had to stop and say to myself, this is not good. This is bad. Um, yeah, it was a little bad, and, and then the lady curled around Silva DeSouza's leg. Right, uh, that's a, just an iconic picture. I'm glad he did, obviously didn't hit anybody with the chair. The uh, the wrestling uh, commentary layover that was, uh, I mean, that was that was classic. Uh, Jones, the, and maybe the funniest part of that. Obviously, I know you're on the receiving end of this, being a KU guy, uh, but. If you listen to the original audio, the, the guy's talking about appetizers, why this whole thing's going on. Uh, the, the only way this could have got better from just a funny standpoint, if they would have played some Snoop Dogg music right. uh, at the end of the game, that that would have just been a wrap. A- am I right, that. though? No is pun this, intended. Is this, unless they make a Final Four run, heck, even if they make a Final Four run, is this what's going to define their season, this brawl and Snoop Dogg? Uh, yeah, I mean... At least the Snoop Dogg part. I mean, that was something that will stay around for years. Um, just the uh, the so-called dancers that were pretty much strippers. Uh, I mean, that you, you don't get more. I mean, we could do Tom Fuller on that today. I mean, that was the Tom Fullery of the basketball season. Yes, uh, the exotic dancers. Uh, the uh, acrobatic From dancers. All-Stars. Yes, from All-Stars. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's exactly where they came from. But, yeah. This, uh, this Kansas team, they're going to be fine. Christian Brown looked really good the other night against Oklahoma State. Freshman gets his yeah, first career start with uh, McCormick and DeSouza being suspended, and he led KU in rebounding and points. Uh, nice showing for the, uh, the freshman from Burlington, Kansas, uh, the way that he put himself together. Uh, this Kansas team is going to be just fine. Uh, they'll be good going You ever forward. been to Burlington? Uh, yes, I have, actually. Doesn't sound like very big of a town. It's not. You know, white three point shooter. He did. He he had a that was a hell of a game. That was a hell of a showing. I feel like uh, that by him. He's gonna be that white guard that everyone else just hates. because um, he's already super confident. Every time he shoots a three, he does a bow and arrow type thing. And uh I love it. He's gonna be probably a four year player and such. I have a feeling that KU people will love him, but he's going to have like that Grayson Allen type feel to him that other folks around the league, around the conference, and maybe around the country just can't stand. That annoying white guard from Kansas that just kills everybody with threes. You know, I hope he, I hope he's not as dirty as Grayson Allen, but you know, he he, he killed OSU, uh, and for that, I'm kind of you know, especially since OSU hung so close, it was on the Remember the Ten night. Um, I mean. Uh, as an OSU guy, I'm like, oh, God, another KU guy that does this to us. But uh, that being said, I like the confidence, man, from a freshman getting his first start, uh, going out and just showing some confidence. And, and, you know, he showed the Mamba mentality. He really did. Yes, he did. Uh, and, and, you know, I like it. I, I lo- and, you know, I love it. Uh, okay. It was against my team. Uh, but I, I love that confidence. Um, the bow and arrow is a little much. The bow and arrow is a little much. <laughs> That's a little much. <laughs> um, I mean, you can't really use the pistols. That's OSU's thing. But 
right. I, there's, there's no one I else can't in say the I don't league. like it. There's no one else in the league that really can claim the bow and arrow. So I like it. I love it. I mean, as a freshman he's coming in, I, I love it. I do. Yeah. I mean, it was against my team, like I said, but I, I can't not like it. And that, that confidence is contagious, too. You can see the other it guys is. <laughs> feeding off of that. He, and he knew he was balling. That's, I mean, that's can't get much better than that. I like it. And, yeah. and, you know, obviously I like KU, it's, you know, as long as they're not playing OSU. And I, I like the confidence. I like the swag. Is uh, Baylor the best team in the country? I know they're ranked number one in the AP poll right now. Uh, they had a nice showing against Florida. They kicked KU's ass a couple weeks ago in, in Lawrence. Um, you know, their resume is incredible with wins over Villanova, Butler, Arizona, uh, just to name a few. I, I'm willing to say that Baylor's the best team I've seen. Um, yeah, not, I would say. OSU should have beat them. Now That should have happened. I will say but, that there is a lot of parity in college basketball this year. I think they're the best team right now, but they are going to lose eventually. And I would say they're the favorites to win the Big 12 at this point in time. But with all that being said, it's not something where, yes, Baylor is the number one team, but I don't say that that they're just the favorites to win it all even by any means, that they're just kind of there. They're the best team at the moment, at this moment, but we still got another month and a half before we get to March Madness. I mean, a lot could change between now and then of who evolves and becomes the best team in the country. I mean, I think so far there have been eight number one teams. Um, so who's to say there's not going to be nine? Uh, yeah, I think they lose at one point in time. Eldie, like I said before, they almost lost to OSU. Probably should have. Um, the The amount of guards that they have, though, the guard play for Baylor is is probably the best in the country. Uh, I don't think I've seen any any other guard play um, that that has come close. Uh, you know, they're big men, not terrible either. I, I heard they got a red shirt guy on the bench. Uh, that is supposed to come off, and and so I don't see Baylor falling off anytime soon, even in the next year, uh, especially because their guards are so young too. I think they're all sophomores. Um, so, and and I don't think maybe you know they're good enough to maybe play in the league, but uh, just with the talent in the league this year, I, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so with that being said, so far so good for Baylor. Uh, I mean. Uh, what a, I mean, Jones, what a kind of a turnaround for Baylor. You know, they haven't been terrible at basketball in the past couple of years, and they haven't been like they are now. And obviously the football team had some great success. And, and obviously I think their women's basketball team, I believe, is number two in the country. Uh, so good times down in Waco right now. Uh, you know, obviously with Matt Rule leaving, but other than that, uh, you know, Waco's got some kind of magic in the water yeah. in the Brazos River. Well, even with uh, Matt Rule leaving, they made a heck of a hire in bringing in Dave Aranda, LSU's defensive oh, coordinator, right. to be their new head coach. And so that appears to be a home run. A lot of people excited about what Aranda's going to bring to the table uh, there in uh, Waco. And uh, he followed that up with a hire in Larry Fedora to be his OC. So they may even be – better down the road with the pieces that they have in place. A lot of good stuff going on in Waco. We need to go down there and drink out of the Brazos River, it sounds like. Yeah. What, whatever there must they be have something in the water. Whatever they have down the water is uh, is working. Chip and Joanna have put the good stuff in the water. I'm done. Let's go to Waco. <laughs> I need some luck. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Chip and Joanna, hook us up because uh, you're obviously doing something right with uh, that Baylor team. But with that being said, Big 12 looks good. Uh, you know, even with what KU's gone through, they're going to be just fine. Baylor's the favorites in the league. They're the best team in the country right now. Texas Tech looks better, and they're here to stay. Um, this was not a fluke what we saw from them. That is a program that is here to compete for a long time with Chris Beard. West Virginia looks much improved. We didn't really talk about them much, but um, Bob Huggins has done a great job with that bunch uh, a year removed from finishing last place in the league. It's kind of those four and then everyone else. I think you're talking about Texas and Oklahoma as tournament teams, and then you'll wonder kind of how the rest of the league shakes out. Can TCU hang on per se? Um, we know that Iowa State, OSU, and K-State have their problems, but it looks like a six-team tournament league right now. But if TCU can get on a run, they started out well, but if them and Oklahoma can win some games they're not supposed to, maybe, maybe we're talking about seven teams from the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament. With that being said, let's move on. Final segment before we get out of here today. It's time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Let's talk Corona, Tom, but uh, not necessarily what you may think of when it comes to Corona. Yeah, Jones, this comes from the Vice article, and you sent me this earlier. I really could, I mean, I could believe it, but I also couldn't believe it. It's almost like a, an Onion article. It's one of those things I, you don't want to believe. Right, yeah, right. And like I said, from Vice, so you know it's going to be good. Um the title of this article, a disturbing number of people think the coronavirus is related to Corona beer. Google search trends illustrate that we're surrounded by very, very confused people when it comes to the rapidly spreading illness, uh, which I'm sure most of you've heard about so far. Last Tuesday, the Google Trends Twitter account noted that worldwide search interest for coronavirus symptoms had increased by 1,050% compared to the week before. Also listed the top five related searches during the previous 24 hours, which included things like how to prevent coronavirus and how does coronavirus spread. But despite a seemingly global attempt to get Dr. Google's opinion on what we should and should not be doing in order to avoid the virus, another popular Google search illustrates that we're also surrounded by very, very confused people. That's a nice term. Uh, Boing Boing discovered that in the past few days, there's also been a spike in searches for Corona beer virus because apparently people are under the impression that coronavirus, also known as NCOV, has something to to do with Corona brand beer, also known as the reason college age you scream, only God can judge me. Actually, I think that is for Loco after during an otherwise chill game of beach volleyball. Uh, the searches have been prevalent in North America, but not in Mexico, where the beer is produced. In Western Europe, we see Finland, as well as in Australia, India, and Indonesia, Japan, and New Zealand. It's disappointing that this needs to be written, but the only thing that Corona beer and NCOV have in common is the origin of their names. In Latin, Corona means mint crown, and modern languages continue to reflect that Corona still translates to crown in modern Catalan, Spanish, and Italian, among others. Sorry, coronaviruses were named because of the crown-like spikes on its surface. And anyone who's ever peeled the cat label off a corona light has noticed the crown that sits on top of the La Cerveza Maspina slogan. Drinkable corona does not predate the virus, though corona was first brewed in 1925. All human coronaviruses were not identified until 1965. 
Perhaps unsurprisingly, conflating a respiratory virus with a brand of beer isn't the dumbest piece of misinformation that has appeared on the internet. The Daily reports, the Daily Beast reports, the conspiracy purveyors at QAnon are suggesting the best way to protect yourself from coronavirus is by drinking bleach. In both tweets, videos QAnon associates suggested that their followers should purchase and consume a product called Miracle Mineral Solution, Miracle Mineral Supplement, or simply MMS. Going to have to get home and MMS the whole state. The outlet said during the outlet quoted QAnon promoter Jordan Sather saying during a recent video, MMS the whole shit out of everything. There are a number of problems with that, including the fact that MMS MMS is made with an industrial bleaching agent. Last summer, the FDA issued a warning against drinking MMS and other products that contain sodium chloride and chlorine dioxide. The FDA has report, received reports of consumers who have suffered from severe vomiting, severe diarrhea, life-threatening low blood pressure caused by dehydration, and acute liver, liver failure after drinking these projects. As a society, we really need help. Google that. Jones, you know what? I can get it. Uh, when I heard coronavirus, I thought, I didn't think, the, I mean, I, I did obviously think of the beer because that's one of the first things you think of, obviously, yeah. being corona. Um, but at the same time, it's like, come on, like, even if, even if the virus was caused by drinking a, a bad batch of Corona, they're not, I don't think they're going to call it the coronavirus. Um, I did <laughs> learn just now that due to the crown like spikes on the virus, that's why it was caused that Corona meaning crown. Um, that is, you know, that's pretty logical. Um, but that being said, I can't believe people are like, oh, is this, is the, is Corona the beer causing this? Like, no. Like, if you kept anything up with pop culture, you would know it was the Chinese and their live, ridiculous, and, bats. and you know, and it, yeah, not only bats, but just live exotic animals like koalas and, and human feces. I mean, I don't know if you read this, but there, there are cooking oils jones that you can get in china that are made from human feces and sewage wastewater that they skim the oil oh. from the feces off the top yeah this is another tom flurry from another day uh thanks reddit um learn that that they do that boil it and purify it and then use that oil to cook with oh. the oil off of your shit. if yeah that that that's what they do uh, you know, maybe a knock, maybe not a knock on China, but also a knock on China. But is it me, Jones, or do all these crazy viruses come out of China because of their crazy habits as far as like, you know, I mean, these people still believe, believe that like, uh, you know, snorting or eating or combining or making a tea out of ground up rhino horn is going to give you a heart on that lasts more than four hours. Uh, I mean, just the age old or ancient you know myths regarding so they, they medicine obviously, they obviously didn't uh, ask their doctor right it's just outdated and yeah, i mean i'm thinking oh man i just ordered a joe burrow jersey from amy smith which is in china hopefully you know that's not contaminated with the coronavirus order you know a, a jersey from amy smith and end up with the coronavirus um yeah, it's pretty much Tom Fullery that people would Google that. It's also Tom Fullery, the you know the health system or the health. Re- I don't I don't know what you would call it. The sanitary, the lack of sanitary conditions in China that allow these things to happen. 
Um, you know, so you got Colin Coward's daughter down at Arizona State tweeting about Arizona State's <laughs> innovative ways in the coronavirus. You said there's a case in Lawrence. I don't know if that's confirmed or not. Yeah, and there is a, cases. A case in the, Lawrence. You know the funniest thing. Somebody is uh, actually in the hospital right now. Not trying to make light of this, just informing folks. Uh, there is somebody at Lawrence Memorial Hospital right now with the coronavirus, and they held a press conference and everything about it. Uh, the Miami of Ohio University. They uh, had to cancel some sporting events because of an outbreak due to the coronavirus. That's insane. And then, you know, the first reported case, I think, was in Seattle. The second one had made its way into uh, into or around Orange County, California, which, funnily, not funnily enough, people are dying from this. I, I, I know. It's, it's light of the situation because it doesn't affect us directly just yet. But it definitely could, and we could not be Joe. This could, this could be a bad, very bad Tom Fuller if this doesn't shake out to be nothing more than a scare. Uh, with that said, it's nothing more than a scare right now, so we're going to make a little bit of light of it because how damning it is. Uh, but I saw a tweet that it ended up in Orange County, California. Funnily enough, that county borders a county whose first city on that border is Corona, California. And Ooh. someone had tweeted, the little guy just wanted to go home. And I thought, man, that is, <laughs> that's bad. That is. Um, so, so tell me this. Uh, I know that this this show uh, used to have a, a doctor's name on it, but we're not really doctors right now. Um, not yet. Not yet, anyway. It, it has to do with, with bats and some of these other things. How is it transmitted? Is it Did it start as a sexually transmitted thing, or was it just like being around them and disease and stuff? Do we know that yet? You know, I hope for whatever reason nobody's out there f***ing bats. But um, for that, <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, that's though. That's how I mean, AIDS really. started, though, with monkeys. I mean, I mean, I think that's the uh, orifice there is probably a little bit more accessible. As bad as that sounds. Um, also, I mean, that would I don't know how that would work with the bat. But that being said, I think it was uh, almost like a mutated virus between animals that spread in a live open market with live animals like koalas and monkeys and whatever the hell else. You, I mean, you can pretty much buy anything in China. If you can get jerseys from Amy Smith for $22, I'm sure you can find a lot of stuff for cheap in a live open exotic market. And from that, that's what I heard the start was, was kind of in there in the live open animal markets. Um, so, you know, gotta stop that a little bit. You can't really go, I've never been anywhere in the U S and you know, I know we're a, a developed country and there are places, you know, pretty close to America that have these markets where you can go out and buy live chickens and live animals and things to go home and kill and eat. Uh, but when you got freaking koalas and random other animals that carry these, like, I'm, I, crazy viruses like koalas i'm pretty sure carry syphilis or chlamydia that i mean that's one thing that they just carry all you know all over the time I mean, that's there there are animals that are being sold to be eaten that are exotic animals that are not meant to be eaten or not normally eaten that are prone to or known carriers of diseases that could infect humans that could give you a real bad time and people are out there just eating them uh, you know, culture be damned. And, you know, when it comes to, comes down to it, science prevails culture. 
um, as far as eating things that should not be eating. Like, uh, you know, if you could just consult your Bible about, you know, talking about not eating pigs or hogs or, you know, pork because of the disease that it carries. Yes, we still ate bacon. Uh, that's a little bit more regulated now maybe <laughs> than it than it was. But, you know, things that carry diseases or things that are bottom feeders or things like that that, that do that, don't eat those. Right. I mean, you don't have to have a religious book or some doctrine to tell you that that says, hey, these things that carry these diseases, you probably shouldn't eat them. Um, you know, but, you know, don't listen to science and you get things like the coronavirus and, you know, or... You know, maybe, you know, listen to science and instead of eating live exotic animals, maybe you'll just go pick up a 12-pack of Corona and get drunk. Yeah, maybe so. Um, that might be... Alcohol kills bacteria. Yeah, that, that could be the, the right. way to <laughs> go about this per se. So just we've had... Give, Tom, you, give you an IV full of Corona and maybe it'll get better. Yes, maybe so. We've had the bird flu, the swine flu... Um, gosh, you know, some of these others that come to mind. We mentioned AIDS, you know, some of these others. Ebola. Ebola, yes. Ebola. Have you ever come close to any of these? I think, Tom, I may have attracted the swine flu back in the day. I think I may have gotten that. The thing with this coronavirus is that where this is dangerous is there's no vaccine for it. This came out of left field. So there's nothing that you can do really to avoid it, to stop it if it gets near you. You're just done for, per se. Have no, you- not so. I looked into it, and Jones, I think we're fine. They said unless you're elderly or young, it's kind of like the flu. Uh, it's a, they said it's a little bit worse than the flu uh, because it is flu-like symptoms. You just have to keep fluids going, and, and the, the fear is dehydration. But if your immune system is low, you're obviously at risk. If you're elderly or young, it's risk. They said the best people who you know have resistance to it or who can make it through are between, I think, like 24 uh, and like 36. And so I, we're, we're good. Good for now. We're good. But if this happens, you know, in 20 years, we're, we're screwed. Maybe. Maybe. Um, it is something to be concerned about, though. And sister just passed during clicks to become a nurse. And so she could be. She starts actually at St. Francis in Tulsa on Monday. Um, so, you know, family with nurses, that that is a little concerning. And and just for doctors all over, Jones, the, the, the I mean, we're, it's Tom Fuller, but this on a serious note. There are doctors over in China who faced this, who didn't know what to face, or, you know, didn't know how to diagnose that were exposed to this. The doctor who first diagnosed this, who called it the coronavirus and figured it out, he has already passed away. Hmm. How about that? I mean, that's, uh, I don't know if you call him a hero or not uh, for, you know, processing this or, you know, you know, being the first line of defense, but it's, it's a little damning. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's still Tom Fullery. Oh, it is. Definitely is. Um, maybe we just need to have some Coronas and take it easy. Yeah, go out to the pasture and hide away and let this all blow over over right. 24 packs. I saw a meme that was, uh, I'm sure you've seen it before, the uh, the redneck that he's got some wheat in his mouth and he's sitting by his pickup truck leaning against yeah. it. And it says... Uh, coronavirus. This is why I don't drink Mexican beer. <laughs> oh God! 
<laughs> I'm sure you. those people who saw that meme were probably the ones searching that. Probably so. They're right. the reason for Tom Fullery today. Yes, you are the reason why. On that note, we will get out of here. Big thanks to Allie Trost for joining us from Sports Radio 810. Appreciate her time. And uh, she'll be down in Miami all of this week providing coverage of Super Bowl week. So you want to make sure to give her a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Allie Trost. And uh, she's doing a great job. So appreciate her joining us as always. You can follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group, Instagram at Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas, and Jones underscore Report is where you can find us there. Subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We're available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And also, we're even on iHeartRadio now as well. So, Plenty of options to catch the uh, Jones Report each and every week. For Thomas Bridges and Allie Trost, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week. Go Chiefs.